Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, May 10th, 2016. I cannot believe how busy I've been. I literally feel like my head is spinning. It's been a little bit of a challenge lately. But I feel like I'm climbing out of the hole, you know? For tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I'm your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down. Stop. Open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to, you know, open our Bibles. Mm-hmm, yeah, you've heard of these things. And uh, look at passages in context. Use sound biblical hermeneutics, proper exegesis, in order to test and see what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose Small group curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says, or if they're twisting God's Word, being innovative, generally teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach, and you know, just mangling God's Word in ways it should never be allowed to be mangled, if you get what I'm saying. At least not in Christchurch, and not in, um, in American evangelicalism, which is supposed to be the place where, you know, We believe that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. What's the point of believing that the Bible is infallible and inspired and inerrant if you're going to preach a different message than what the Bible actually says? I mean, I don't get that. And it seems like evangelicals are just, just really obsessed with themselves and seeing themselves and their dream destiny into, you know, and you, you get what I'm saying. It's it's really bad out there. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin by um, listening to a little teaching, you know, about the anointing for purpose uh, by Guillermo, Guillermo Maldonado. Uh, he's a, He claims to be an apostle, and he ain't. No, he ain't no apostle, I can tell you that. He doesn't meet the qualifications to be an apostle, by the way. And so we'll listen to him, and we'll kind of note along you know, the way as we listen to his part of his message here, just how little is uh, actually in the Bible and how, how so much of what he's saying is literally just made up. 
I mean, granted, I mean, he's very charismatic. He's very, very engaging in his speaking style and things like that. But you know what he also is? Totally biblically off the mark. I mean, the guy he's just making stuff up. Then we're going to uh, head down to the Cathedral of Frisco. We have a Keith Craft update. And, uh, you know, that's that's right. We're going to be hearing from the Mariachi Trench today. And listen to a portion of his uh, message titled, The Think Be Do of Winning. That's right. You know, I have have you uh, figured out the biblical doctrine of the think be do of winning? And you're thinking, what are you talking about? I I know, but that's the name of the message, the think be do of winning. So if you haven't got the whole think be do thing uh, worked out yet, you might want to start working that out. You know, I mean, clearly, I mean, this is what's in the Bible, right? I mean, you know, the the the, the ancient church, the church fathers, they all talked about the think be do thing. Actually, they didn't. That's kind of the point. And we'll take a break after Keith Craft. And when we come back, we'll have an extended segment. Um, Cora Jakes Coleman. Yeah, Cora Jakes Coleman, who is the daughter of T.D. Jakes, uh, preached at the Potter's House this past Sunday on Mother's Day. And we're going to listen to an extended portion of her message uh, where she asks the question, what's your Hagar? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's going to be attempting to preach through a portion of the book of Genesis, and it's not going to go so well. Let's just say that, well, although her father is probably, and I, hands down, the most gifted communicator I have ever witnessed in my life, when it comes to being an exegete, he probably is one of the least able uh, exegetes I've ever seen. So she works; she's working on her delivery, but her exegesis yeah, comes up really far short. So, And then in hour number two, we're going to head over to the Champion Center in Tacoma, Washington, as we listen to Kevin Gerald uh, <laughs> preach a sermon about, um, about faith and apparently how the Bible is trying to teach us to do irrational things. Yeah, I wish I was making that up, but I'm not. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. And uh, since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, that requires us to do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare, I bought a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Roly bowl a ball, roly bowl a ball, singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. So we're going to begin with the self-appointed apostle, uh, Guillermo Maldonado, as he tries to explain to us how we can experience the anointing for purpose. And uh, he's, let's say, a little short, like a lot short when it comes to biblical texts. Uh, and he's really long on, I mean, really, 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 really long 
on just making stuff up. Here's the apostles, so-called, self-appointed, uh, Guillermo Maldonado. Here we go. The anointing is always giving according to purpose. La unción siempre se habla conforme al propósito. Yeah, you got a biblical text that says that, I mean, right out of the bat, I mean, we've got a problem here. He's making this very bold, confident assertion, even sticking his finger up in the air with authority. And boy, is he dressed in a very snappy suit here. Uh, but the, the thing is, is that uh, well-dressed men who stick their finger, you know, finger in the air with authority and then say, that doesn't mean that what they're saying is actually true. Where in the Bible does it say what you just said? Dependiendo de lo que sea su llamado y propósito, así se le da la unción. According to your calling and purpose, so is your anointing. As long yeah, no biblical text that I know of says that. You stay faithful to your call, the anointing will intensify. Siempre oh, yes. If you stay faithful to your call, you know, that old anointing thing, yeah, it's going to just get really intense. <laughs> it's like... Do these people, do they even read their Bibles? I mean, read it cover to cover once, and you won't find any of these statements in the Bible at all. They're not even taught is like by implication. The anointing is divine supernatural approval for ministry. Yeah, again, do you got a text for that? Why are you saying that? If the anointing doesn't come upon you, it's because it's not your call. Oh no, the anointing hasn't come on me. How do I know if I've had the anointing come on me? Does it leave a fragrance? Does it tattoo you somewhere? I mean, how do you know the anointing has come upon you? What are you saying? ¿Qué me dice? There's a supernatural grace to do the call. Hay una gracia sobrenatural para hacer el llamado. Not your career. No tu carrera. Well, that's weird because Christ says that we do our good works in our vocation. At least that's what the scripture says. Especially like Ephesians 5. Yeah. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And the good works that we do are, you know, as husband, wife, father, mother, child. Employer, employee. Yeah, it's just kind of strange. Ephesians 5 is kind of arguing against you here. Tu carrera, your career, es natural. Is natural. El ministerio no lo es. Ministry is not. El ministerio es sobrenatural. Oh, so yeah, yeah. If you've been anointed to ministry, that's all super duper natural stuff. Yeah, just the ordinary stuff of life that you do, that can't possibly be ministry. It's weird. Again, you know, he's making a weird distinction here. No text is open. He's not reading from a biblical text. He's just making assertions. Ministry mm -hmm. is supernatural. Dale un aplauso a Jesús, por Give favor. Jesus a hand clap. La carrera tú la escoge, el ministerio te escoge a ti. You choose your career. Ministry chooses you. Many of you are thinking that the ministry is a career. Están pensando que el ministerio es una carrera. That's why you're failing. Por eso está fracasando. You have to be called. Tienes que ser llamado. And there has to be an anointing that proves it. Tienes que haber una unción que lo compruebe. How the anointing works. Cómo funciona la unción. 
Todos tenemos la unción. We all have anointing. Las tenemos por medida. We have it by measure. Jesus was the only person Jesus fue that had the anointing without measure. Con la unción sin medida. Why? ¿Por qué? Yeah, so apparently we're all little anointed ones running around the landscape. And it, now he's saying something about Jesus. Jesus had the anointing without measure. Do you got a biblical text that says this? I'd like to see it in context. Oh, because he was the son of God. No. Porque hijo de Dios. No. Why? Porque. Because he lived a surrender life. Oh well, see there you go. I mean, if you would just live a surrendered life like Jesus, then you know maybe you can have. The anointing with less, you know, less, uh, well, things that are causing it to be without measure, right? Uh-huh. Que vivió una vida rendida. Not because he was God. No porque era Dios. Not because he was the son of God. Ni por ser hijo de Dios. Porque vivió una vida rendida continuamente a Dios. Because he lived a life continually surrendered ¿Cómo to God. ¿Cómo trabaja la unción? How does he Levante todo su mano y diga, unción. Raise your hand and say, anointing. Anointing. Say, unción. ¿Cómo trabaja? How does it work? Two ways. Dos maneras. By the... Yeah, please tell us how it works. I mean, how'd you figure this out without any biblical texts? You know, I mean, it's amazing. I mean... Apparently, if you're an apostle, you can just make up doctrines right out of your own head. It's amazing, you know? Law of supply and demand. Por la ley de oferta. Never heard the Bible talk about the law of supply and demand. Wow. Uh, I mean, maybe he's getting this directly from God, you know, because he is, after all, an apostle. Demanda. Where is he? I'll How say. the anointing of the supernatural power of God works. ¿Cómo funciona la unción del poder sobrenatural de Dios? And Por la ley de oferta y demanda. Cuando no hay demanda, no hay oferta. When there's no demand, there's no supply. Si no hay demanda de frijoles, If there's no demand for beans, no hay oferta. There's no supply. Si no hay... Right, so if there's no demand for frijoles, beans, um, then there's no supply, right? So, you know, the law of supply and demand, this has something to do with the anointing. Clearly, I mean, Guillermo Maldonado is dressed really nice and can wave his finger in the air and kind of wag it with swagger. It, he's got to be telling the truth. I mean, he's an apostle, you know. Man that the, uh, is there's no demand of oil in the world, there's si no, no supply. Si no hay demanda de petróleo en el mundo, no hay oferta. Por eso que ahora el petróleo está bajo. That's why oil is down. Porque no hay demanda. Because there's no demand. ¿Qué le quiere decir eso? What does that mean? La unción trabaja. Well, actually, um, it's that the demand is outstripped by the supply. There's a huge supply of oil, and uh, the supply is greater than the demand. That's why the price is... Yeah, that's how that supply-demand thing, they're kind of on... You know, opposite plane kind of thing, you know. Sí. The anointing works like Un this. Un está ungido. A vessel is anointed. I'm talking about anointed by God. Si hablando ungido por Dios. The... Yeah, at least you think you are. I mean, but you're just making everything up. I don't see any of this in the Bible. Inability. Navilidad divina. And you there. Y usted está ahí. If you don't put demand on the, that vessel. Si no pone demanda sobre ese vaso. There's no supply. No hay... Of... Oh, yeah. So don't put... If you don't put demand on the vessel, then there's no supply. Right, yeah. So that's just terrible, man. That's yeah. The price of anointings will just plummet. Then you know. Usted está enfermo. You're sick. 
Entró enfermo y sale enfermo. You came in sick, you left Entró sick. afligido y sale you afligido. Y te dice, pero yo estuve y la unción estaba. Pero no pusiste demanda. Preachers. Predicador. Le ha pasado esto. Has this happened to you? Que usted está predicando. You're preaching. Y usted está predicando. You're preaching. Y está terminando el mensaje. Finishing the message. Y usted no puede terminar. And you just can't finish. You say, I'm going to finish. Dice, Voy a terminar. But you can. No puedes. Because there's three people. Porque hay tres personas. In the audience. En la audiencia. Saying this. Diciendo. God, I don't live this place without my miracle. Dios, no me voy sin mi Yeah, no, I've never had that happen. That's weird. Yeah, well, I've been preaching for the past couple of years. Never had, you know, the the experience of like not being able to complete my sermon because there were people. Oh, wait a second, we don't have an audience. Yeah, at our church, yeah, we have the congregation, but we don't have an audience. That's kind of a big difference. There is a big difference between a congregation and an audience. Just saying, but uh, we you know, see that's the thing. We've never had anybody in an audience at our church. Yeah, because it's not a show. Uh, but you never had anybody in the congregation saying to God, well, I'm not leaving without my miracle. Yeah, so I've always been able to finish my sermons quite easily, you know. Just keep working through the text that I write out, and then you get to the conclusion part and wrap it all up, and, you know, and then, you know, it's done. It's pretty easy, you know. <laughs> I have to pull from that man. Tengo que jalar de ese I have to pull from that man. Tengo que jalar de ese que está lado, dile, Allah. Tell you never pull. Dile Allah. Tell him pull. Dile Allah. Pull. Pull. Allah. Yeah, you got them all up on their feet yelling pull, pull. You know, just, isn't that what they yell when they're playing, they're shooting skeets? You know, anyway, yeah, like this is going to accomplish anything. So, yeah, seven whole minutes of total nonsense. None of it actually taught in scripture. Yeah, but boy, he sure does dress nice. And he has some great delivery. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, who cares if what he's saying is not actually in the Bible? I mean, it does. It, it, doctrine doesn't matter anymore anyway, right? I mean, just say whatever you want. Slap the name Jesus on it and it becomes Christian. <laughs> yeah, that's not how it works. Uh, anyway, I think you get the point. Moving along. These are the sounds of the mariachi trench. That's right. The deepest trench in all of Trenchdom. Made popular by Keith Kraft of Elevate Life Church over the Cathedral of Frisco. Today we're going to head on over there and listen to a portion of a message he recently delivered called the Think Be Do of Winning. Are you having trouble winning in your life? Well, don't be... Don't be alarmed. Yeah, Keith Kraft is going to swoop in from the mariachi trench itself. And he's going to help you apply the think-be-do of winning so that you don't have to lose anymore. Man, I wish I was making that up. Let me go ahead and back off on the music. And uh, without any further ado, here's Keith Kraft and the think-be-do of winning. Here we go. Come on, Elevate Life. Everybody stand to your feet. If you're a guest with us, join us. Put your hand over your heart. Let's make some declarations together. I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God. Yeah, d d making declarations about yourself. Yeah, that, that seems a little odd. Yeah, the me, 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 me,
I am God's workmanship, created for good works, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today, I open up my mind to receive the word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Let's lift up our hands and say this with me. Come, Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would Yeah, see, here's the problem. Uh, Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit would convict the world of um, sin and unbelief. Yeah, not help you elevate your thinking so you can elevate your life. No biblical text talks about the Holy Spirit operating in the role and function of elevating your life while elevating your thinking. Give the people that are watching online a big hand. Also, our television audience, over 200,000 people. So thank you. 200,000 people being deceived. (laughs) Bummer. Thank you so much for watching. And uh, you may be seated today. Well, we're talking about winning. And winning is one of my favorite subjects because guess what? Because it, um, it's a great way to scratch itching ears and draw a large crowd and make lots of money. Is, is that way the reason why you like? Yeah, you know. I'm just thinking of, you know, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I mean, if you haven't read it, I mean, here's what it says. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who's the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, to preach the word. Yeah, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Um, yeah, with uh, complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who will suit their own passions and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. See, you know, so, you know, you talk about, well, the reason why you like the topic of winning. I mean, the only reason why I can possibly give a biblical answer to the question that you posed for us is to just say, well, you found that by preaching messages like this, it scratches itching ears and, uh, you know, all these people who've turned away from listening to the truth can, you know, deceive themselves into believing that they're actually hearing something from the Bible when they're not. Is, is That's the reason why, right? You're God's son and you're God's daughter, and he didn't put you on the earth to lose. Oh, I see. So I'm God's son and he didn't put me on the earth to lose. Well, there's a lot of people who are sons and daughters of Christ, blood-bought at that, um, adopted through um, what Christ has done for us on the cross. And, um, yeah, they lose every day. Weirdest thing. So what you're promising from God is not actually found in the Bible, and God doesn't promise it. I said he didn't put you on the earth to lose. Yeah, I know that's what you said, but God didn't say it you to win in life and he wants you to learn from your losses because things are going to happen in our life we're not always going to win but we can always learn how to win and so i want to talk to you about that today and then i want to introduce some very special people who are with us today but i want to talk to you about the think be do of winning right yeah that that great doctrine going all the way back to um one of the epistles no it's not in the epistles I mean, it, 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 it didn't the prophet um, Mariachi talk about the think be do? No, 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 that's not even. Yeah, no, maybe it was one of the church fathers. No, the church fathers never talked this way. Think be do of winning. Okay, that's new, which means it's not true. Think be do of winning. 
Uh, you've heard me say this if you've been around here a long time, but please let me be redundant. Everybody here has a philosophy of life. And if I were to ask you your philosophy of life, it may take you a little bit of time to talk about it, or maybe you've never talked about it. By the way, what these guys and girls have is notes for you if you'd like to take notes today along with us. But everybody has a philosophy of life. They have a philosophy about God. They have a philosophy about marriage. They have a philosophy about family. They have a philosophy about politics. They have a philosophy about money. You see, you have a philosophy about everything because what does that mean? It's a, it's a thought process. A theology. Hang on a second here. Hang on. Do you smell that? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That smells like Norman Vincent Peale. Now, I know that takes me way, way, way back. It has been a while since I have been exposed to anything that even remotely sounded like Norman Vincent Peale. And, uh, a little bit of Robert Schuller in there, too. Huh. Yeah, that's that's some strange theology right there. That ain't theology, because theology, actual real theology, only comes from Scripture. Everything else is just myth or philosophy or man-made kind of stuff. Yeah, true theology is saying the same thing as what Scripture says. It's what God has revealed in the biblical text, kind of summarizing it in our own words or even you know, just restating what the Scripture says. But that, that, yeah, boy, there's some, there's some possibility thinking going on here. I have heard this before. We continue. Is basically Godology, and it means God's philosophy of life. Yeah, no, that's not what theology is. So when we study theology, we realize how God thinks, how God is, or how God bees. And what God does as God. And so for all of us, our philosophy of life can be summed up in three words. How we think, how we be as an individual, and what we choose to do based on our philosophy of life. Does that make sense? So it's very important that you, that you understand that about yourself. There's a way that you think. And by the way, around here, we believe if you elevate your thinking, come on, you elevate your life. We say that before we... Yeah, that, that, that is Norman Vincent Peale stuff. I said, sorry, the lights are going on here. It's like now that I kind of know what I'm dealing with, wow, this guy has found a way to take possibility thinking, which is not biblical doctrine at all, and put his own spin on it and rephrase it in such a way that you wouldn't necessarily catch the connection. Hear the word because we want to allow the word to help us elevate our thinking. So everything starts at thinking. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Yeah, actually, that's not what the Bible says at all. Now you're thinking, well, wait a second. Doesn't the Bible say, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he? Not if you actually pay attention to the rules of grammar. Let me explain. The uh, verse in question is Proverbs 23, verse 7. Proverbs 23, verse 7. Let me read it from the King James. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. But that's not all of the sentence. Let me add the context here. This is kind of a three-verse you know, uh, thought that is there complete when you take Proverbs 23.6, Proverbs 23.7, and Proverbs 23.8 together. The possibility thinkers uh, like um, Keith Kraft and uh, I think his you know, mentor, Norman Vincent Peale, the way they work 
is they just say, oh, as a man thinketh, you know, so is he. But that's not actually what it says. Here's what it says in context. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. An evil eye person is somebody who's stingy, who's greedy. Uh huh. Neither does thou desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. Now, let me unshakespearianize that and uh, read it from the ESV. Proverbs uh, 23, verses 6, 7, and 8 from the ESV says this, Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. In other words, yeah, the person who says, oh, the Bible says, as you thinketh in your heart, so is you. No, it doesn't. They've taken a portion of a sentence out of context from the King James and have used that to basically buttress their possibility thinking theology, which is no theology at all. This is something completely different than theology. This is man-made mythology that we're listening to. We continue. So is she. There's about 18 inches between your heart and your brain. And the bottom line is uh, they're very much connected. And so your mind represents your thinking, your heart represents your being, and your body, your hands represent your doing. So again, when we talk about think, be, do, I just wanted to preface that by saying that, the think, be, do of winning. Uh, There's a lot of people that do not win in life. They don't feel like they're winners in life. And by the end of this series, I I hope that you will understand a little bit more about winning and that you are called by God to win. The Bible says you're the head and not the tail. Oh, yeah. See, that means that apparently I'm called to win. And if you're not winning, well, you you just ain't doing it right. And God's probably not pleased with you, you know. In fact, the Bible says you're to be first and not last. So that speaks of... You better get to be first then. Get to it. Get cracking. I mean... You know, I've been shooting for the middle this whole time. I mean, oh man, I mean, just look at my finances. I mean, and I I don't live in the upper class. I my bank account isn't even close to that. Yeah, no, I've been shooting for the the mushy middle. You know, for my entire I haven't been doing this right. Clearly, God is not pleased with me. Winning, and so when I think about winning. Uh, here's a definition for you to consider, and it's in your notes. Winning is a mindset. Everybody say a mindset. In other words, it's a way of thinking. Yeah, again, this is Norman Vincent Peale stuff. That energizes the heart or your being with passion to supernaturally excel beyond what is naturally possible. Ding, 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 ding. There's the word for this year that God gave, uh, apparently. God gave to uh, Keith Kraft. The word is excel. Yeah, so... So his definition, winning is a mindset that energizes the heart with passion to supernaturally excel beyond what is naturally impossible. Mm -hmm. Where did he get that definition from? Not from the prophets, not from the apostles. He got that from a possibility thinker, not from the Bible. You're doing so again, it can be summed up just the thing we do of winning in that definition. Winning is a mindset. By the way, so is losing. If winning is a mindset that energizes your heart with passion, what does losing do? It takes the energy out of your heart. 
It causes you to lose your passion. And that's the devil's goal is for you to lose, for you to lose in marriage, for you to lose in family, for you to lose in. Yeah, I thought the devil's goal was, you know, to have us join him in the lake of fire. You know, um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I think you, you kind of you're not giving the devil real credit for what the devil's really trying to do. It's, you know, you're turning him into a paper tiger, if you would, you know, for you to feel like a loser. Because the Bible calls you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Yeah, aren't you amazing? Yeah. yeah. Again, everything out of context. And uh, so narcissistic, you know. And so the enemy of your soul wants you to feel like a loser. I want to ask you an honest question. I've got my hand already raised. And it's weird because God the Holy Spirit wants to convict you of your sin and unbelief. And convicting you of your sin is going to make you feel like, uh uh-oh, a sinner. Somebody who stands guilty before God, who has fallen short and is in need of a Savior. What he's teaching people doesn't convict them of their sins. It convicts them of not being great enough, you know. This doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit's at work at all there at uh, Elevate Life Church. How have you ever felt like at some point in your life you're a loser? I mean, we, we all have. And if you didn't raise your hand on that, it proves you're a loser. joking. I'll give you another chance. How many of you in your life have ever felt like a loser? Okay. So, so hopefully what you've lost in, whether it's your thinking, your being, your doing, whether it's in your relationships, whether it's your finances, whatever it is, that the proper response to losing is that'll make you want to win, not just keep you thinking you're a loser. So again, it's a mindset that energizes our heart with passion to supernaturally excel beyond what is naturally possible. When I think- yeah, no biblical texts say this. So, yeah, Keith Craft and uh, Guillermo Maldonado have a lot in common. They, they literally believe they have the authority to preach whatever they want and, and basically say, this is what Christ would have you believe, teach, and confess. But if that's the case, then why did Jesus tell us to make disciples, baptizing and teaching all that he has commanded? Christ has not commanded anyone to believe these things. Heath Craft, Guillermo Maldonado, boy, they both have quite a bit in common, don't you think? You know, just kind of making stuff up and blaming it on God and making Christians believe that this is what Christ would have us believe. But if this is what Christ would have us believe, then his word would say it very clearly. And Christ's words do not teach anything of the sort. The one who exalts himself will be humbled, Christ says. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. Keith Craft is teaching us to exalt ourselves, contrary to what Christ has called us to do. What do you think? All right, we're up on our uh, first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear a portion of a message delivered by T.D. Jakes' daughter, Mother's Day, just a couple days ago. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. 
You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Holidays Birdcage here proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. So, uh, do you know why I called you in here today? Am I in trouble? Oh, no, 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 of course not. We're just worried about you. Is this about my tithes? You know, I- I'm so sorry. I forgot the $5. Well, you hate me now, don't you? Oh, no. No, you've been very good about meeting your tithe quota. Besides, if this had been about your tithes, we would have sent someone to your house. I just wanted to discuss your attitude because some of the elders have started to talk about it. My attitude? Oh, yes, your attitude. You see, we're all about our Congress having audacious faith. But we've noticed that you seem to be having difficulty being audacious during services. Um, are you talking about the Holy Ghost, Hokey Pokey? Is I not dancing right? You know, I, I tried practicing at home, but when I put my whole self in, I fell over and injured Fluffles. Who is Fluffles? Well, uh, he's my cat, and after I fell down, I didn't know if he was breathing. Okay, we we seen you straight from the top. Look, you don't have... To dance during the services. But you could at least start singing. I mean, what's the point of having jumbo screens with sing-along lyrics if people aren't being audacious and using them? When I was younger, I had this bird. And I decided to take it outside with me and start singing to it. And a hawk dove down and snatched Muffin from my finger. Oh, dear. Uh, I'm so sorry about Muffin. But let's get back to the present point. If you don't want to sing or dance during the service... Then I guess we'll let you have make that choice. But if nothing else, would you please be more audacious and just do the hand motions? Well, last year, I had my gerbil outside and his hamster ball and... Uh, the interview is not going as expected. Well, I was practicing hand motions and my bracelet caught a glare in a driver's eye. And the car swerved and it hit Mr. Cuddles. He flew into the mouth of an octopus living in the sewer... Apparently, he didn't taste very good, so he spit him back up into the street where my neighbor ran him over with his lawnmower, which broke the hamster ball, but not Mr. Cuddles. So then Mr. Cuddles escaped, and then a dog thought Mr. Cuddles was a chew toy, so he chewed on him. But Mr. Cuddles didn't like that, so he survived, and I got him back. Well, that's finally something positive. I bet you anything that Mr. Cuddles would love for you to be more audacious in church. Well, but he died a week later from rabies that he got from the octopus. Uh, well, I think we'll have to schedule a second meeting for you sometime in the next... Never. I, I mean months. 
This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms and rental cars today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that guys just making stuff up are scratching itching ears rather than telling you what Christ would have you believe. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. They're right there in the middle of the homepage. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you well, you get to pick your rank. That's right. Your rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us, by the way. Uh, The more crew members we have, it really helps give us a firm financial foundation that we can you know, continue to pay our bills, budget properly, and hopefully expand the services that we're offering to the body of Christ. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Just a reminder, by the way, we still have spaces available for this year's 2016 Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Our theme this year is Semper Reformanda, and it's going to be up here near Grand Forks at Kongsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota. Yeah, (laughs) limited to 150 people. We literally have some folks coming from around the planet to come to to Kongsvinger uh, for this uh, great, great conference that we're putting on. 
myself, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, uh, as well as Jeremy Rohde, and uh, we'll be slotting in another pastor very shortly for the uh, for the uh, fourth lecturer at the conference. It'd be a great time for you to come and you know spend some time with us, be able to ask us questions. There will be a couple of panels. Um, and, and our, you know, the theme again, again, is uh, Semper Reformanda, always reforming. So we'll be talking about, you know, a plethora of different topics as it relates to uh, ref- a reformation that needs to continue on in the church today. So uh, just to re- so if you want to attend, you know, the way you do that in register and pay to register and get information regarding travel, where to stay and where to fly into and all that kind of stuff, go to uh, fightingforthefaith.com at the very top of the webpage. It says 2016 PCR Conference Separate Reformanda, always reforming. Yeah, click on that. Yeah, click on that, and it'll take you to the page where all the information is there. We'd love to see you and have you uh, come uh, come to the conference. It'll be a great time. All right, now I had to deliberate and uh, make up. You know, what are we going to do with uh, T.D. Jakes's daughter? T.D. Jakes's daughter. Uh, she is an aspiring preacher. I, you know, I'm not exactly sure what to do with that because. God's word actually forbids what you're going to hear her doing. Her name is Cora Jakes Coleman, and I've titled her message, What's Your Hagar? What's Your Hagar? Since she's taking after her father in his narcissistic, eisegetical ways, um, I decided that we're going to use Stephen Furtick's update music for um, Cora Jakes Coleman, although I'll give her this credit, and that is, is that she does a far better job of actually trying to look like she's teaching a biblical teaching, then, then we've heard from Guillermo Maldonado or Keith Kraft today. But uh, let's do this and we'll get right into it. Don't you, don't you 
Yeah, so uh, what's your Hagar? Yeah, I don't know what mine is either, but we're going to see if we can make heads or tails of uh, Cora Jake Coleman's Mother's Day sermon delivered over at the Potter's house. And uh, we'll note that uh, she learned from one of the master Narsajits, and that would be your father, T.D. Jakes. Uh, good delivery, but uh, really bad on the doctrine and exegesis. That's the best way I could put it. So without any further ado, here is Cora Jakes Coleman and What's Your Hagar? Here we go. In between Abraham being told he's going to have an offspring and the destruction that happened in between that. And so in the middle of Abraham receiving this information, this knowledge, in the middle of this, Hagar comes along and she is a slave. So she has to yield and submit to whatever. Yeah, I don't know how to describe what I am looking at. <laughs> okay, if if you haven't seen it yet, when I post the program to the podcast tonight, I'll make that the uh, the image that goes along with the episode. I'll even put it in there. I have no, I don't even know what I'm looking at. Okay, so Cora Jakes Coleman is wearing a black clerical dress. You know, she's got a big clerical collar thing going on it's a dress and the front part of the dress is kind of lifted up a little bit down near the feet and i think she's wearing red converse sneakers what (laughs) what is this ever her mistress or master tell her to do she cannot say no but abraham could So Sarah is like really depressed. She's sad. She hasn't had a child yet. It's been years and years, 10 years they've been in Canaan. And she has not had a child yet. Right before all of this happens, God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you with an offspring. You're going to have a seed. When we go to the next chapter, Sarah is like, I'm not having a baby. Go ahead and sleep with Hagar. And I was really confused because I was trying to figure out why he didn't say, Sarah, I was just talking to the Lord. And he said that we're going to be blessed beyond measure. He said that we're going to have our own offspring, that I'm going to be the father of many nations. Why he didn't communicate with his wife about what the Lord had said, because if he had communicated, she probably would have said, well, let's not sleep with Hagar then. Wow. Notice what she just did there. Basically, she just implicated Abraham. Um, <laughs> with the charges of withholding information from Sarah on purpose so that he can sleep with Hagar. Wow. I've never heard anyone do that before. Wish I hadn't heard that. She sends 
Hagar to Abraham, and Abraham agrees to this request. It made me wonder, what are our Hagars? (laughs) (sighs) Oh, man. The stuff I've been reviewing lately is mind-numbingly bad. And it's just getting worse. Why are these people sitting there and listening to this like this is profundity? This is nonsense. Our backup plans to what God has said. Oh, yeah. So whatever your backup plan to whatever God told you via direct revelation, well, then that's your Hagar. But see, here's the thing. God doesn't speak to me via direct revelation But he speaks to me every day in the written word of God. And um, I ain't got no backup plans because God hasn't promised to make me wealthy, make me into a great nation or anything of the sort. So, yeah, I I got I may I don't have a Hagar, you know, and, you know, that's just how that goes. So what if you don't have one? Had had Abraham been walking by faith and and had been walking in what God had told him, then he wouldn't have made a backup plan to what the Lord had said. Hagar and Ishmael are the backup plan. They are the distraction, the detour along the destiny, the destination. We Oh, along the de- so Hagar's the uh you know, whatever your backup plan is, if that's your Hagar, then that's gonna be the distraction from getting you to your destiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, says no biblical text anywhere. Where'd she learn this from? Yeah, her father. We all have a distraction, a Hagar, whether it be sickness, illness. Oh, so if you're sick, that could be your Hagar. Computers, work, job. We have to understand that we cannot be so thirsty for a position that we forget the power that we have on the inside of us. Abraham was thirsty to jump ahead of God's will. He was thirsty to produce early. But what happens? What? When you produce early fruit that you was not supposed to be messing with. Yeah, what happens with that early fruit? Yeah, that you shouldn't have been messing with. Yeah. Yeah, well, then it becomes a Hagar, and, you know, we all know how bad that can be. That you was not supposed to be linked up with. What happens? He lays with Hagar, and she gets pregnant. Now, look, this is women. As soon as Hagar gets pregnant, as soon as she had his baby... She is like walking around, girl, you ain't worthy. Ooh, you didn't have no baby. Ooh, don't you wish you was pregnant like me? She's treating her in contempt is what the word says, which the definition of contempt is worthless, treating someone worthless. And so she is treating her with contempt. Sarah goes to Abraham and she's like, look, your side chick, though, she is trying me. I'm not for it. Got to figure this out. 
Now listen to Abraham's response. She your servant. Do with her what you will. You done laid with this lady. You done agreed to having, having sex with her. And now she's Sarah's servant. She's been serving you quite well. Wow. Wow. As far as I, as I know, you've been served very well. When we throw away our, our responsibilities, we throw away our promise when we... Oh, yeah, you wouldn't want to throw away your promise by throwing away your responsibilities. Yeah, the text doesn't say that either. Give the option, the backup plan is you throwing away your promise. Mm, yeah, those backup plans, you end up throwing away those promises, man. Weird, again, there just seems to be, a, well, an epidemic of people just making stuff up. and Just, you know, right off the top of their head rather than the stuff that's actually in the biblical text. Bizarre, absolutely bizarre. When you have a backup plan to what God said, it is saying, I believe you, but. When we say but, it erases everything that we said prior to. And so you cannot expect that good fruit is going to come from a seed that you planted. What you form will not prosper. For the hands that God creates with are prosperous hands. And so... The hands that God creates with are prosperous hands. And so since they had a backup plan that was... I I can't get this to add up. Uh, Wow, this is really just awful. I just... uh, It's absolutely tragic. And see, here's the thing. This is what she grew up under. A man who has literally, I would consider, the best gift ever as far as delivery of sermons. And the worst skill ever as far as rightly understanding what the Bible says at all. I mean, that is a bad combination. And she's striving to be like her dad in his delivery. And um, clearly doesn't understand that... um, what he's been teaching her the whole time is not what the scripture says. But we continue. Sarah has thrown her promise away to Hagar. Um, what? Sarah threw her promise away to Hagar? No biblical text says that either. She has thrown it away and she's giving it up because she doesn't know what God said. Uh, She had no clue at all, apparently. I did not know that. And Abraham is allowing her to throw away her gift because he doesn't have an ear to hear what God said. Uh, Again, weird. Where are you getting this? You're sticking stuff in the biblical text that isn't there. It's very similar to Job. When I was reading Job and the messengers were coming and they were like, Yo, you're going to be great. You're going to live long. You're going to have a lot of children. You have. You do understand that Job's comforters, uh, they were teaching false doctrine. They were not really helping him. 
Nations and nations of children, it's going to be okay. And he was like, no, I'm still sore. I'm still going through trouble. I'm still suffering. He missed what the messenger was saying. Uh, no, actually, you sounds like you missed the whole point of the book of Job. It's mean I'm doing my good preaching, y'all. Yeah, they brought her out another microphone. He missed what the messenger was saying. How often are you missing what the messenger is saying? What? <laughs> um, so apparently I'm missing what the messenger is saying, and I need to figure out what my Hagar is. Right. Let me put that on my to-do list. Yeah. How often are you allowing yourself to be consumed by your struggle that you can't see success? How often do we allow ourselves to stay lame, broken? As allow myself to stay lame. Yeah, I know some people who uh, have some pretty serious ailments and are losing their mobility. Um, you know, multiple sclerosis. And that's not their choice. No, really, it's not at all. People step over us over and over again as Hagar's produce fruit that belong to us. Yeah, Hagar's produce fruit that belong to us. I have no idea where you're going now. I mean, this is just weird. How often do we allow ourselves to be so consumed by the testing trials of life? That we forget that those come that we may be complete so that we do not lack in a world. Mm, yeah, so, I mean, those trials come so that you won't lack. And if you, you know, give your seed to the Hagars, then, you know, yeah, then you'll, you'll, you'll miss out on your promise. And then you'll start lacking, right? Where people have become comfortable in lacking, the tests and trials are not what they desire. And I bet you anything that uh, this young lady has never had a day in her life where she's gone without. I'm just guessing, you know. Because you have become comfortable in a lacking state. When you have something great ahead of you and you know that it's going to take you from one place to another, why would you allow yourself not to go through the test? This doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, narcissistic eisegesis, she's not, she clearly has not studied and showed herself approved. What she's doing is sinful beyond all measure anyway. And what she's wearing, I think, is kind of a mockery, you know, you know, a mockery of the, the pastoral office itself. And wow, just absolutely, see, the thing is, you think the Bible's about you, you're going to miss the point every single time. Scriptures aren't about you. They're about Christ. And when you exegete the biblical text, you're going to run into Jesus just about everywhere. But when you uh, ignore what the texts say and start inserting things narcissistically, that's a result of your sinful nature, which has been in on itself and thinks that, well, the Bible has to be about me. After all, I'm the most important person I know. No, really, you are the problem, and Christ is the solution. <sighs> it is so frustrating and aggravating. I think you get the point. 
All right, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Sermon review from Kevin Gerald, the guy who is the cheap knockoff of Joe Osteen. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. It's been a while since we've Reviewed Anything by Kevin Gerald. He is the cheap knockoff of uh, Joel Osteen. Osteen's the original. Osteen's the, you know, the coach handbag. Um, Kevin Gerald's the coach handbag made in Taiwan. I think you get the point. Let's do this right, though.
good, the bad, and, well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the Champions Center, Tacoma, Washington. Kevin Gerald presiding. Name of the sermon is Acts of Faith. Yeah, so here's the question that the sermon is supposedly going to answer. I mean, you know, what parts of your life yeah, are you living too guarded, too careful, too safe? Yeah, you, you got to stop holding back. You got to stop thinking rationally. Time to, you know, step out in an act of faith, and, you know, act in a way that's contrary to reason, you know, because that's apparently what God wants us to do. I didn't know that that's what God wants us to do, because no biblical text actually says that. But I think you're going to get the point. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Kevin Gerald and his sermon, Acts of Faith. Here we go. Just as a step of faith, I'd like you to, if you would, just say with me, my heart's open, my mind's ready. Make me better, God, by your word. I receive it. I believe it. Yeah, another one of those me, 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 I, 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 uh, so-called confession thingies. Yeah, narcissism run amok. will be the same again. In Jesus' name, shout a great big amen. I want to talk to you today about what I call acts of faith. Act- yeah, what he calls acts of faith. Not the Bible, but Kevin Gerald. Of faith. Big things happen when we act in faith. And I know that as I began this message today that I'm coming against the rational approach to life that we all have. And Yeah, coming, hey, we got to get rid of that. You, you know, if you have a rational approach to life, I mean... You're totally not pleasing God, apparently. I had no idea. Okay. Our tendency, all of our tendency, is to live life from a a rational perspective uh, in everything that we do and to make decisions that we're comfortable with and to play it safe. And Yeah, that's totally bad. I mean, you, you can't expect to please God living that way. I mean, after all, we all know without faith, it's impossible to please God. And by faith, that means like... Just living totally irrationally. To literally do what we do uh, from that rational perspective. I mean, we grow up learning and, and we touch the hot stove and we say, that's irrational. And I won't do that again. And we get hurt by something. Yeah, no, no one ever says touching a hot stove is irrational. They say that's just how you get burned. I mean, what are you talking about? And we say, won't do that again. And so we start connecting dots and we start learning, you know, our way through life. And then we develop this thing we call rationale. Um, and, and we do life based on our reasoning and, and our rationale and our, our intellect. Uh, but God has called all of us to acts of faith. Um, no, I thought God called us to faith. Trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Which biblical text says that God's calling us to acts of faith? And I'm going to try to convince you today to look at some areas in your life where you're living too guarded. 
Uh-oh, yeah, the fool. You better stop doing that. Yeah, God's going to smack you around and then throw you into the fires of hell if you're living your life too guarded, you know. And too careful. Areas where you're living too safe. And I'm going to try to loosen your grip a little bit in those areas and and encourage you to, to stop holding back. Yeah, you got to stop doing that, yeah. And, and to say to you that it's time for you in one way or another to start taking some risk and making decisions in, in your own life that the people around you and that the world around you doesn't understand. Yeah, you got you got to start living risky, man. Yeah, you just... Lots and lots of risk. No no more of this guarded stuff. God just can't be happy with that. Decisions that go against your own reasoning. And the reason I'm, I'm going to talk to you about this today is that big things happen. I said big things happen when we act in faith. Says what biblical text? We're going to base our message uh, out of 2 Kings Chapter 3 in Scripture. So that means you're going to read the text first, right? And then you're going to carefully exegete your way through the passage, correct? That's what you're going to do, right? I mean, you got time, like all the time in the world. You're going to do that, right? And it's the story of three kings who joined forces against their enemy. Three against one. And they assumed that they would defeat their enemy quickly, but, but that's not how it happened. Uh, they, they thought, you know, hey, we're going to get this done fast, quick, and we'll be in and out in a day or so. And so they're, they're in this desert. And why don't you just read the text? I, how hard can this be? Second Kings chapter three. OK, let's see here. I'll start at verse one. Here's what it says. In the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria. He reigned 12 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and mother, for he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel a sin. He did not depart from it. Now, Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he had to deliver and he had to deliver to the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram marched out of Samaria at that time and mustered all of Israel. And he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, quote, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to battle against Moab? And he said, I will go. I, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And then he said, by which shall we march? Jehoram answered, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And when they had made a circuitous march of seven days, there was no water for the army, for the animals that, uh, and, or for the animals that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? 
Then one of the kings of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As Yahweh of hosts, the Lord of hosts, lives before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. And by the way, where's Jesus in the story? Answer, he's uh, the unborn great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson of Jehoshaphat, right? So um, <clears throat> so if we're not for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. Now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, Thus says Yahweh, I will make this dry st- stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, you shall see wind, shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed shall be filled with water so that you shall drink, you and your livestock and your animals. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree and stop up all the springs of water and ruin every good place of land with stones." The next morning, about the time of offering the sacrifice, behold, water came from the direction of Edom till the country was filled with water. Yeah, so like it's like God caused it to rain in one place, and you know the water ran downhill, so they never saw the rain, and it just comes down. When all the Moabites heard that the king had come up to fight against them, all who were able to put on armor from the youngest to the oldest were called out and were drawn up at the border. And when they rose early in the morning and the sun shone on the water, the Moabites saw the water opposite them as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely fought together and struck one another down. So now now then Moab to the spoil. But when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose, struck the Moabites till they fled before them. And they went forward, striking the Moabites as they went. And they overthrew the cities, and on every good piece of land, every man threw a stone until it was covered. They stopped every spring of water, felled all the good trees, till only its stones were left in Kir Harasheth, and the slingers surrounded and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was going against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through opposite the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him for a burnt offering on the wall. And there came great wrath against Israel, and they withdrew from him and returned to their own land. So there's the story. I mean, I don't know why Kevin Gerald is too busy to actually read it out. Um, But, you know, hey, you know, this can be done in just a couple of minutes. But now that requires you to actually go back and exegete. Let's see what he does here. And they hadn't brought enough water. So now that the battle's more difficult than they anticipated, taking longer than they thought it would, they ran out of water. When the military leaders got together, they began to talk about how that, wow, this is, this is harder than we thought it would be. And they, they feared that 
the, the soldiers might die of thirst. Or that they would have to, you know, shut things down and go back home not having won their battle. So they called for Elisha. They called for a prophet of God and, and sent for him and asked if he would come and help them and advise them and pray over them or do what he did, you know. And, and, and he had a reputation of, of being able to hear from God and talk to people uh, and tell them what God is saying. Okay, so before I, before I actually uh, go to that verse 15, let me tell you that uh, before verse 15, he's actually being a little bit... Uh, Elisha had a swag about him, like a little, little cocky, okay? And, um, and, and, and so was, uh, he got that from his mentor, Elijah. And uh, so what he's doing, if you were to read the whole story, is like he kind of goes in and he, he kind of like takes a few jabs at them. Like, yeah, now you want to hear from God, and yeah, now you want me to come work some magic for you, and you haven't, you ignored God, and you haven't really been... Uh, you know, caring what God thinks up until now, now you're in trouble. It's kind of that. Not, not the exact words, but it's got that tone to it. And he literally says some stuff like, you know, your mama and talk to her. What are you talking about? Why are you not just reading the text? Her and why don't you cry for her? And, you know, just stuff like that. But so, so here we are. He gets over that. And the next thing he says in verse 15, he says, how about, how about you bring me a musician? And let me just comment on that. Um, a lot of you may not understand that the power of, of, of music and, and it, what it does for our hearts and our souls in ushering us into the presence of God. And I, I can't explain it other than to say it's just the way it is and always has been. Uh, and so for us, like when we wake up in the morning, there's music going on in our house that is proclaiming the day that the Lord has made and just glorifying and honoring God and fun, upbeat stuff like we sing here at church. We play it in our house. We play it in our car. I have it in my headsets. And I mean, when you're having a bad day, um, good music will get you over the bad day really, really fast. And it'll encourage you. So if you didn't know that, like that's what he's doing. He's saying, okay, enough of all this talk. I need a musician. Get me some music going on. And the Bible says, then it happened that when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came on him and he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Thus says the Lord, dig some ditches. Everybody shout that with me. Say, dig some ditches. Say it again. Dig. One more time. Dig some, dig some ditches. Ditches. Yeah, this is where it gets a little confusing. He's reading from the New King James. The New King James translates the infinitive there as, you know, dig some ditches. Make this valley full of ditches is how they translate it. But I think the ESV catches the Hebrew a little bit better. Let me read it again from the ESV. Thus says the Lord... I will make this dry st- uh, stream bed full of pools. Yeah, they're they're taking the infinitive and putting it, the uh, God as the subject. God isn't saying to them dig ditches. God's saying I will fill. So um, yeah, I I understand that you you, you know this is going to be an argument uh, between Hebrew scholars, but I think the ESV has it closer than the uh, New King James on this. And they're both working from the same manuscripts, by the way. 
So, um, yeah, this is uh, a little bit on the awkward part of his, and that is is that he's he didn't really do his homework. It's like he read Stephen Furtick's book and thus decided to just go with Stephen Furtick's exegesis, but Furtick clearly didn't check the Hebrew on this. So, um, wow, yeah, yeah boy. <laughs> I yeah you're going to you're going to ha- basically hang all of your theology for your main point of your sermon on yeah on how this sentence uh, you know in the Hebrew is to be translated yeah when I think the ESV has it right God says I will make not you go and make For thus says the Lord, you'll not see wind nor see rain yet that valley it's going to get filled up with water Dig the ditches, and the valley will get filled with water so that you and your cattle and your animals may have something to drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. It's not, it's not too hard for him. Uh, he'll also- yeah, which, by the way, the next verse kind of makes it clear that this is no big deal for God. Uh-huh. It's not a command to dig ditches. It's God basically saying, I'm going to fill it up, and this is no big deal for me. God's doing the work. Deliver your enemy, the Moabites, into your hand. You're going to win, and you'll attack every fortified city, every choice city. You'll cut down every good tree and uh, stop up every spring water, and you'll ruin every good piece. So you're just going to come in like a, like a mighty army, and all that's going to happen. So he speaks confidence into them, and the, verse 20 says, And now it happened in the morning that when the grain offering was offered, that suddenly water came by way of Edom, and the land was filled with water. So the instructions for the army was that they were to dig ditches in this barren valley. This, Yeah, actually, I think the ESV has it right, where God says, I will fill, not you go and dig ditches. Yeah, and so even if God told them to dig the ditches, um, it's, so what? That doesn't tell me to go and live my life recklessly and riskily. That's not it at all. Desert-like place. And when they did, God caused water to rise up from the earth. Like, not, not, not rain, but water to come up from the earth and... Just read the text. ...the ditches. Now, how many of you know that God could have done this without them? And when you read the ESV, the way they translate the Hebrew, that's... And like I said, this, I think they got it better than the uh, New King James on this one. Um, yeah, um, God did do this without them. Like, how many of you know that God could have spoke ditches into existence? Like, God could have across the valley and boom, 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 every four feet would be a ditch. How many of you know that? Like God could do that, right? Like God could do that. But God didn't do that. And there's a reason he didn't do that. And that Now, you're gonna, if you're going to actually say that you know the reason why God did do it the way you're saying he did it, you're going to need a biblical text that says... Thus saith the Lord, this was my reason. Because here's the thing. 
I can't even read my wife's own mind. I seriously doubt you have the ability to read God's mind. So if you are going to say that you know the reason why God did something, you had better have clear texts that clearly say this is how God reasons and why he does things in this particular way. You have to have clear text. Otherwise, you're not giving us what God has revealed. You're making up stuff. That he wanted them to be a part of the process. He wanted them to step out with acts of faith. Um, but no biblical text says that. And the ESV has an alternate translation, which again, you know Hebrew, I think they have the, I think they got it better than the New King James. That basically says, I'm going to fill the, the stream bed with water is what God is saying. And that's what he did. No acts of faith required. See, when we show God our faith, come on, you got to hear me on the, when we show God our faith, God shows us his faithfulness. Which text says this? You're getting applause for that, but I need a biblical text. You need to exegete it from a text. You've just made an assertion without a text, and the text you're pointing to is disputed. doesn't clearly say what you're saying it's saying. And this is so common in Scripture. It's in the Old Testament, New Testament. We're starting a new series today. It's going to build your faith. It's going to help you. You don't want to miss not one week of this. Uh, but, but we're going to go through different stories in the Bible, and there's so many examples of this. Let me give you a few with just Jesus himself. Jesus said to a man with a withered hand one day, I mean, his hand is literally withered, and Jesus, Jesus didn't say, he, he didn't say, hand be straightened out, like, and then, and then say to the man, stretch it out. No, no. He started with, stretch your hand out. He started with the man actually doing doing oh i see so you're going to read into that jesus was requiring him to do an act of faith before he would heal the guy the text doesn't say that either the guy would not have been able to stretch out his hand unless christ had given him that ability by healing it another person who was crippled jesus said pick up your mat and walk like i'm crippled like, 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 could you, like, heal me first? <laughs> the text doesn't say that part. Can you heal me first? Jesus healed him. He was able to get up his mat and, you know, get up and take his mat and walk. Let me ask you this. How much faith did the son need to exercise in order to be created? You're going, huh? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, look at the account of Genesis. God says, let there be. You know, you know, and he creates the sun by speaking it into existence. Well, how much faith did the sun have to exercise before it was created? Where, or when God says, let there be seed-bearing plants, how much faith did they have to exercise in order to, well, for the plants to actually come to life and be created? You see, Jesus' words, because he's God, he has the power to create. He has the power to heal with a word. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. It's not the man doing it who's who's being healed. It's his word that is accomplishing 
that which he assented to do. In the same way, you know, that God said, let there be light, and there was light. You know, the, you know, go to Genesis. How much faith did the universe exercise in order to be created? Answer, none. The power's all in the one giving the command because he's God. There was a group of lepers that... In those days, what happened was the priest would proclaim you clean or unclean. If you were unclean, you had leprosy, you would live in the co colony away from people. So the priest was the one who always did that. And one day Jesus came across some lepers, and he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. Now the significance of that was that he didn't like heal them. They weren't like all, all clean of leprosy, and then they were going to go and be declared clean. The Bible says while they were going, while they were on their way, while, are you hearing me, Champion Center? Well, yeah, but again, it wasn't them who healed themselves. It was Jesus' word that healed them. While they, the Bible says while they were in route. Like, yeah, he's putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Like he wanted acts of faith. Like, like the text doesn't say he wanted acts of faith. Go, and while you're going, like, while, he didn't even promise them anything. He just said, go show you, like, in faith. Like, why would I go to the priest? He's going to tell me again. He told me before. I'm unclean. I got to live out in the colony. I you're adding to the biblical text. None of the lepers said that. He's what he's going to tell me. Look at me. I'm, I got leprosy. Jesus said, go. And as they were going, they were healed. So who gets all the glory? I guess apparently the lepers do, not Christ. See, Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the faith being discussed there is the saving kind. Yeah, man, this is bad. So apparently if you're not risk-taking, yeah, you're not pleasing God. You got to demonstrate. You got to show God acts of faith. Otherwise, you can't please God. Yeah, and yet Hebrews 11 makes it very clear what it is that it's talking about. Hebrews 11, starting at verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction or certainty of things not seen. Mm -hmm. What are we hoping for? What is it that we don't see? Oh, yeah, forgiveness of sins, eternal life in Christ. Those are the things promised to us. For by faith the people of old received their com commendation. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was, was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Yeah, how is it that Enoch was pleasing to God? By faith. This is talking about the faith of salvation, not the faith of risk-taking. We continue. Without faith. You want to know what God's all about? God's about faith. You want to know where God works his best stuff? In a place of faith. You want to know where God really comes through when you need him? In the place of faith. Without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. James 2.17. 
says like this, it says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So now we're going to confuse two categories. So is risk-taking the equivalent of um, a good work? Yeah, I, I just want you to think about it, because the, the sermon notes, here it says, we take a look at some areas in our lives where we may be too guarded, too careful, too safe. Yep. So are you living your life too guarded, too careful, too safe? Are you not taking enough risks, you know, doing acts of faith? Well, then, you know, faith without works is dead. So you've got to do the good work of not living safe. The Bible nowhere, including James, defines a good work as risk-taking or doing the opposite of living a guarded life. This is a confusion of categories. Faith without works is what? Is, say it again, is what? Is dead. So... Maybe you're here today and just break this down for, for like real life stuff. Maybe you're hoping for God to put the right people in your life. And you're not, you might even be praying for that. And you're not realizing that before right people can come into your life, that you have to dig some ditches of personal faith. What? That is the weirdest application. So, I mean, so I, I want the right people to show up in my life, so i got to dig a ditch. What are you talking about? And personal growth, so that you're the kind of person that the right people will want to have in their life. Yeah, so maybe you don't have people in your life because you haven't dug enough of the right ditches. This is nonsense. <laughs> like maybe you're here and you're like, I just want that right kind of man, Pastor. I want a man of God. I don't want, I don't want no losers in my life. I, I had enough losers in my life. Yeah, but right now you're still hanging around losers and you're still talking like a loser yourself. And, and you got all your baggage and you got all your stuff. And why would a, a winner... Yeah, what? why would a winner want to hang out with a loser like you? That's what this text is all about, you know, wrong. Would a winner want to come be with you right now? You got to get digging your own ditches of victory. You got to have your... Yeah, are you digging ditches of victory? <laughs> yeah, I'm digging mine right next to my Hagar, man. I mean, seriously, what are you talking about? ...steps of faith. You Come on, you got to be willing to move forward... Hello, hello. Come on, we're talking real stuff right now. There's some people that are... Imp You're talking absolute hermeneutical nonsense. This is gobbledygook. Mobilized right now, and you're 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 kind of like, please God, He's got to do this and and God do that, and, and God would say to you, it's time for some acts of faith. Oh, now you're speaking for God, really? So yeah, that's nowhere in the scripture including the one you just read from 2 Kings chapter 3. Pastor, are you saying like I got to like I got to give up those friends uh, like yeah, that's what I'm saying. 
But I don't want to ask all my friends. They all got all that, Pastor. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Act of faith. But what if I don't find some more friends? That's what faith is. Yeah, so if you have loser friends, get rid of them because you need winner friends. Which biblical text says that? No guarantee. Come on, Upper Deck, help me here in Tacoma. Come on. Come on, Bellevue, help me out today. So many of you have done this. So many of you have taken these steps. So many of you have, have moved out. You, you, you've done the work. You've, the, the personal growth. You said, I'm going to go if nobody else goes. I'm going to church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join this small group. If, if i got to go by myself, like, I'm going to grow. I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm not going to stay like I am. And then along the way, while you were going... All of a sudden, you found yourself surrounded by the very kind of people that you wanted in your life, that God started putting in your life, but it all started with an act of faith on your part. No. You are totally just winging it here, making stuff up. Well, I love the way we dedicated our children. Yeah, go ahead and clap. We're having a, we're having a fun today. I love the way we get to dedicate children to the Lord. Champion Center loves children. And a lot of what we do is, is acts of faith, like the rooms we build and the money it costs us and the way we decorate it and the way we pursue volunteers to be there every single week to love our children. And, and we're just act, we don't have any guarantees. We don't know what children are coming. We don't know what children are actually, you know, going to be here. It's all just acts of faith, acts of faith, acts of faith. We get up here today and we dedicate and we pray over our children as an act of faith. But I want you to understand, I want parents like to get beyond like just the ceremonial aspect of this. This is, this is part of doing the right thing as a parent, but it just doesn't stop here. Like I don't want any parents or grandparents to walk out and on this weekend, you had your baby or your child prayed for. I don't want you to walk out assuming it's all over like 20 years from now. It's going to be a great man of God. No, no. Like, like my son, like he's a champion. Like he's going to be a champion someday. Like yeah, 20 years. No, it doesn't happen like that. Bible says train up a child day after day. With, with our little girl named Jody, when she's a little girl now with our grandson, like in the morning, what's he doing? He's putting on the armor of God. And I got my shield of faith and I got my breastplate of right. And we got stuff going into his heart and into his mind. And we grab hold of every teachable moment that we can. And we ask God to help us as parents, as grandparents, to download the wisdom each and every day to dig the ditches. You got to dig the ditches. You got to, you got to stay in there with your acts of, uh, uh, yeah, you better start digging ditches. Yeah. This is bizarre faith and there is no guarantee like you know well i don't want if they don't be bound by fear just stand on the word of god and do that act of faith and then god will do what only god can do in the lives of our children maybe you're asking god to bless your life financially maybe you're asking god for promotions and open doors but you're not digging the ditches of giving and tithing so that God... Oh, yeah, you got you know, God's not going to bless you unless you dig the ditch of tithing. Christians are not under the Mosaic Covenant's command to tithe. We're not. ...can bring his blessing into your life. Like, that seems too hard for you. Like, I got to do that? Like, come on. I, 
You're not carving out places in your life for ditch digging. You're like, you're like, it's. It, oh no, I haven't carved out enough enough dick, ditch digging thingies in my life. How much room do I need to to leave open for my ditches that I need to dig? I gotta get a shovel, like, yeah, and dig it, like, give, like, give first, like, oh, yeah. Maybe you're a, a, a student, maybe you're a young adult right now, and you get your $140, and you just, like, cram it all in your pocket, and you think about pizza, and hanging out, and having fun, and going, and you, you know, God's not even in the picture, and then you're like, please, God, bless my life, and please, God, give me a great job, and please, God, open up. So clearly, he's not gonna be preaching from the biblical text anymore he wasn't really doing it in the first place now we just get all the stuff just spinning out of his head based upon his misunderstanding of what's going on in second kings three i'm just being i'm the i'm the messenger today don't stone the messenger i'm just the messenger yeah your messenger is not what the biblical text teaches so you're not actually delivering to us a message from god it says, hear the voice of God. God loves acts of faith. God loves it, and he honors it, and he responds. When we step out, when we don't really know, well, God, if I give, then what am I going to have left? And I can't afford to, and God, I don't know how to, and God just loves it. Whenever we dig a ditch and we don't really know what's going to happen, we just obey God, and we walk by faith and not by sight. Man, I'm doing so good. I'm preaching. No, you really aren't. You've totally fallen down on this. I'm preaching better than you're responding today. <laughs> maybe you feel called into ministry. Maybe it's uh, God's been talking to you about ministry. Um, there could be some of you young men, you young women, or, or even a little bit older, not so young. But God, God, God's been talking to you. And God's been saying, hey, I'm calling you. My hand is on your life, and I've got a special place for you. But... You, you know, you have thought about it and it just seems so inconvenient, like what you would have to do to actually get from where you are to there. We have Champion Center College and we have classes and people come to our classes and we have internship programs and we have things, you know, that we offer and we provide. In fact, tomorrow night, you might have saw it earlier, tomorrow night, um, our chapel at our college, I'm going to be there sharing um, from my journey in leadership. And so we just, stuff like that, we're constantly doing in our life of our church. And you may not know that, but we're constantly creating opportunities and atmospheres. And, and, but, but here's what I wanted to say to you is that you're creating atmospheres, really. Oh, that's, that's impressive. How do you do that? Chances are, like, if God's called you and there's a calling on your life, there, you would just think that you can continue life as it is and that somebody's going to come bang on your door and say, you know, um, would you come be a worship pastor? Would you come be, you know, a staff member, children's ministry worker? Would you, and, and so I just come find you and hunt you down and, you know, and say, would you do this? And, and then you would end up in a ministry opportunity and it doesn't work that way. Like it starts with you saying, you know, I might have to quit my job. I might have to raise support for a year so that I can get by here. And I, I, I might have to like, like really sacrifice and 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 peel away all the stuff that I like to do, maybe, and just really devote. I have, I'm there's some ditches to dig. 
between where you are and the plan God has for your life. Well, I, I got to figure out what my Hagar is first. I mean, all this work I got to do here and none of it makes any sense to me. I've got to figure out what my Hagar is and then I got to go and dig some ditches and stuff. Yeah, oh, man. Oh, Christianity is so complicated because it doesn't make any sense. Well, I mean, this isn't really Christian doctrine. This false Christianity, counterfeit theology, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's completely irrational. Totally ignores what's really going on in these biblical texts. And God wants to use you, and God wants to do big things for you, and whatever the categories is, I'm just throwing a bunch of them out as a parent, as a person with believing that, you know, uh, financially God's got something better for you or whatever it is. And you might be here this weekend and you've been that person who's just sort of lived under the assumption that, you know, God does whatever he wants to do with me or without me and I don't really do anything. No, no, we are partners with God. And there, this God, God will do what only God can do, but we, we have to pick up the shovel. Like, we have to move along in acts of faith. And when we move in acts of faith, that's when God does what only God can do and opens doors that only God can open up. Says Kevin Gerald, not the Bible. That's an important distinction. Oh, wow. Man, I'm so excited about talking about this. I... But here's what I want you to understand as a church, um, because you may think this individually and you may assume this as part of our church family. You may just assume that God does what he wants to do in the life of our church. And I want to say to you today that everything that we do as a church is a form of ditch digging. And right. Yeah. Right after they figure out what their Hagar is. Yeah. An invitation is an act of faith. Oh, so you got to invite people, right? Yeah, that's a big ditch you got to dig, yeah. I love the video that you guys saw earlier. And it was two people pulled in and reminded of how they invited a young girl, Corey Ann, I think was high teens at that point, Champion Center. And I know another person is really glad that they invite her, and that is uh, a guy named Paul, who is a worship leader in our church and actually had grown up here, and he was here way before her. But someone invited this girl, and then this girl showed up here, and boy met girl. And two babies later, you kind of heard the story. And we we have hundreds and thousands of those kind of scenarios. I remember one time I, we, we had the names and we actually put them up on the stage. We had, I think it was like 65, 64, 65 people. And we started at one end and he invited him and, and he invited her. And they invited this couple. And then they brought their son, their grown son, who brought his friend. And we did 65 
all of them had been baptized here and given their hearts to Jesus at Champion Center. It's the power of an invite, and an invite is an act of faith. Our ushers are handing out right now at both locations, they're handing out our touch cards, and I just wanted to get these out again today. We Two weeks ago, we started handing out our new touch cards, and if you have some already, um, they come in packs of five that we're giving you today. If you have some, um, you know where they are. Don't. So, like I said, I mean, I, I think the Bible's done now. He's just going to just spin stuff out of the top of his head. Any pressure to take them, or if you don't want to take any, that's fine. But I want to, I want to give them to everyone who will take some of these as an act of faith today, and you'll begin to. Look for people in your life, your friends, your family, that you could have a bold opportunity or an opportunity to be bold and actually invite. And I'm not talking about whippy invites. I'm talking about like bold invites. And to just use this as a tool, as an act of faith. Our mission as a church is to move life forward. Move life forward. That's our mission. And we put new. That's weird. I thought the mission of the church was to make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all that Christ has commanded. How'd you get a different one than that? Language around our mission recently. And everything that we do as a church is a form of ditch digging for what we know God wants to do in people's lives. And we know that God wants to move people forward. He, he, he wants everyone who is unsaved to be saved. And he wants everyone who has lost hope to find hope. This Just a few nights ago at Mesh Conference, second everyone, night of Mesh Conference. Everyone who's lost hope to find hope? What? Right here at the Tacoma campus, I was down front, and, and I met this couple, and they were like in their mid-60s. And, and, and as I shook their hand, they said, this is our first time ever here. And, and she said, I, I just want to tell you that years and years ago, I lost my faith. And she pointed toward her husband and she said, he hasn't, but I did. I, I've, I lost faith a long time ago. And a few months back, I was flipping through the channels and I came across you. And I started watching you. And then I started watching you weekly. And I want to thank you. And she didn't say like, you know, immediately my life was filled with incredible faith. She said it moved a little bit, like it just moved the dial. And, I, and it was like a little bit of a stirring, a little something that happened. And, and then she said the most amazing thing happened because we have a 15-year-old grandson who last night called us and said, Grandma, my church is having a conference. It's called Mesh. It's awesome. Like, and we only have two nights. We had tonight, and now we got tomorrow night. It's so incredible, and Grandma's for everybody. You can imagine a 15-year-old, like, going after Grandma, you know. It's for everybody, like you and Grandpa. You got to come one more night, like urgency. You got to come one more night. And she's like, well, okay, I'll talk to Grandpa. We'll work it out. Anyway, here they are standing here the next night, and she's saying, lo and behold, I walk in to this church, and it's you pointing at me. It's you, the guy on TV, like. Proof that you probably want to avoid those televangelists. 
See, what I'm saying to you is you just never know. Like, you never know. You never know what somebody's going through that you work around. You never know where they're at in their life. You never know the conversation they had with their spouse last week. You never know. You never know how their back's up against the wall. You, you never know how inside they're hungry for hope and for direction. In their, you never know. Like, you never know how the, the people you're working around are right at that point and until you make the invite. Until Yeah, but everybody needs the forgiveness of sins, and I'm not hearing you preach Christ and Him crucified for anything. You step out. You don't know. Maybe they've been watching us on TV. Maybe they've been from afar. Maybe they lost their faith somewhere along the way. You never know. And that's the whole deal. We don't know. We dig ditches and we don't know. Like we just obey God and we don't know. We stand at the doorways and we welcome people and we don't know. And some come and some leave and not everybody stays. And we go to the parking lot and we ask volunteers get to the parking lot. Let's welcome everybody. Let's consider everybody. Let's thank everybody for coming. Let's make it a great, memorable experience for everybody. Well, what's the guarantee if I do that? There is no guarantee. This is called acts of faith. Yeah, working parking lot duty, huge. I mean, that's a ginormous ditch you can dig. That's an act of faith that God will end up putting a million dollars in your bank account for. Right, yeah. Acts of faith. Wow, wow. Now, let me just real quick, I want to go through this for you um, and, and tell you that a couple of weeks ago on Vision Weekend, we showed you what we call our progress icon for the first time. We kind of unveiled it. And again, it's, it's, our, it's our new look with, with a message in it. And so I want to begin with you looking at it and looking at the middle of it, because the middle of it, there's that white, white C that stands for Christ. And all that we do... So he's exegeting their new logo. Yeah, some profound spiritual insight in that thing, I'm sure. Our church is a catalyst to build our lives with Christ as the foundation for all areas of life. And I want to be honest, we literally... Yeah, no, I don't think Christ is the foundation. I think you've hogtied him and thrown him in the basement. Big difference. ...believe that without Christ at the foundation that everything you do and everything you plan and all of your efforts eventually at some point are going to crumble. It's not going to work out. Jesus said it like this. He said that a wise man builds his house on a good foundation. A foolish man builds his house on the sand. Storms come to both of them. But the person who builds their life on a good foundation, their house will stand. So I'm glad you're doing some smart things. I'm glad you're taking some classes. I'm glad you're learning a budget. I'm glad you're doing whatever you're doing to make your life better. But the truth is... Have they been brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? Without Christ at the center of it, the days will come in your life. The enemy is too powerful. Darkness is too overwhelming. The only way you can really live a lifetime of strength and, and pass off a legacy to your children and your children's children is to build your life on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And then there's four things in the 
additional aspects of what we call the progress icon. You can call it a logo for now, but as soon as you can, shift over. We like progress icon better, okay? So relationally, relationally, this is why we have mesh conferences. This is why we talk about marriage is because we believe that with Christ's help that you can learn how to live and have a strong relationship with people around you. We believe that's God's plan for your marriage to last, for your family to last, for you and your children, actually, to have a a, a harmonious life together and to get through all of the landmines that are in our world today that relationally with Christ's help and on His Word and living according to His Word, that you're going to do, you're going to have a strong life. The outworking of all that He does is going to impact your life in the relational area. And then emotionally is the next one. We just believe that God will heal your hurts. Like that with, with Christ and the Word of God and, you know, coming to small groups and doing life in circles. And we have some on Wednesday night right here. If you're not a part of a small group, one of the things they're doing this Wednesday night is sacred marriage classes. You are, are small groups, I'm sorry, small group, but they're going through sacred marriage and sharing and people interact and people talk and walls come down. And another one is, is just what we call talk it out. Today's message. There'll be people gathering in circles. Again, some in homes and some in maybe Starbucks, but right here on Wednesday night, here at both locations, you can come and pull up a chair and get in a circle and talk it out. And the stuff I'm talking about today, like you can, you can talk it out with people. You can go, well, I had a hard time with this and I didn't understand what Pastor Kevin was saying there. It's called talk it out. And we grow and we break through emotional barriers where maybe we get stuck physically. Same thing. Like, you know, a lot of times your emotional you that's hurting is causing you to have addictions physically and uh, whether it's a drug or whether it's food or whatever it is, but we believe that with Christ's help and surrounding yourself with the right people in God's family and God's church that we can overcome and that we can be healthy. Come on, we can be strong. We can be overcomers in every area of our lives that, that God wants to move. He, he wants to help us move life forward and spiritually that we can grow. And you don't want to just come to church. You don't want to just listen to Yeah, we've totally given up on the Bible now. We're exegeting a logo. I'm sorry, a progress icon. Yeah, this is just so weird. Since when did Christians become too busy? When did pastors in Christ's church become too busy to rightly handle and preach Christ from the Scriptures? Sermon? No. You, you, you want to you know where it is. You want to download a Bible app. You want to memorize a verse. You want to start putting it in your heart so that it counters everything that your, your unsafe friends are saying and your, your family said. You want to grow. You want to grow spiritually and, and, and dig deep. In- well, if you want to do that, Champion Center is not the place to do that. The soil of God's purpose and plan for your life. And this is all about moving life forward. In other words, like what I just said, small groups, Bible app, memorize something. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about digging ditches. I'm talking about acts of faith. I'm talking about having an attitude that just says, you know what, I'm going to obey God. And as a church... Like we do this individually, we do this 
and before people ever show up here on a weekend, like we do this without any, any real certainty or guarantee. I tell people that feel called into ministry. I talk to a lot of young leaders and here and around the nation of the world. And I always tell them that it's one of the most discouraging professions that you can get in, in your life. And I try to just say that with, with the idea and the attitude to help people understand that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to, you know, they're, they're just going to come and go. And there, a lot of people are not going to respond like your heart wants. You, you, know, you know what God wants for them, but they don't know it yet. And they don't know what they don't know. And the, the ability to just come back week after week. For us, we're celebrating 30 years this year. 30 years. And we wouldn't be here without God's help. God knows I've been discouraged plenty, plenty of times. I wanted to throw in the towel and quit. We wouldn't be here without the strength of God and God's help. But the point is, is that I can't look too much at what people do or say. I just got to dig ditches. I got to just pull up my boots and put, put on my boots, pull up my boots, pull up my pants, put on my boots and go at it again. And prepare again, believing that even on a weekend like this, God's going to change somebody's heart. God's going to speak to some person. Somebody's not going to be the same again. They're going to experience life. They're, they're going to, they're, they're going to, something's going to happen in their life. And, and that's the beginning or the continuing of God's work in their life. So let me tell you about my friend Eddie, um, in closing today. Eddie is a, he's a personal friend of mine. I've known him for years. And Eddie went to, a, uh, what do you call it, a, a 30th year high school reunion in July 2011. And there was a old friend there by the name of Jill. And after they talked a while, Eddie invited So the closing is just all anecdotal stories. I mean, it's been more than 20 minutes since he even attempted to make it look like he was doing anything that looked like actually preaching a biblical text church. And when she came, Eddie introduced her to everyone that he could. And that day, she gave her life to Jesus. She got baptized. She started coming to celebrate recovery. She went to starting point, which is where kind of we encourage people to come and get connected. And she got connected. She became a member of our usher team. She served on that team. And a year later, after she had come here. She sent us this email to her team leader, whose name is Robin. And, and she said this. Uh, I want to just share her words to you. She said, Hi, Robin. I just wanted to tell you that my experience at Champion Center has been so awesome. I've never felt so welcome. And, and you all have made me feel that way. Everyone I've come in contact with has been so friendly and helpful in this experience. And it's changed my life dramatically. Thank you so much, Jill. One month later, Jill collapsed at her home and passed away at UW Medical Center at the age of 49 from natural causes. At her memorial, everyone who spoke said that the last year of her life had been the happiest year of her life. Her family and her friends, her coworkers, everybody who said anything, they just talked a lot about how she had invited them to church and told them how Jesus had done something transformational in her life. 
There's a lot of people that we've invited, a lot of people who have come, a lot of people who received Christ at Champion Center. The reason I'm talking about Jill is just to say you never know. And, and I want you to just, like, understand that we just never know. We, we do what we do as acts of faith. <clears throat> you never know. So here he's brought up the potential that you, you might enter eternity at a time when you never know, you know, like today maybe or tomorrow, which is a real possibility for every one of us. So is he going to preach Christ and him crucified and dead, buried, and raised again on the third day for our sins and for our justification and call us to repent and to be forgiven by what Christ has done for us. Let's see. He's got the sappy music playing in the background. Though he's closing the deal, trying to get decisions here. We'll see what happens. And, and I, I want to ask all of our church family this weekend, like, I want to ask you, back, back to those touch cards, I just want to ask you to let that represent a decision that you make this weekend to say, I, I am, I, I'm going to go for this. Like there's some friends, there's some family. I'm going to go for. I'm going to dig ditches. Wow. There's some people. I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm not going to be worried about what people think. And no, no, no. I'm not going to be worried even about you know what. So do- the thing he really wants you to not be guarded about, or and stop being too careful about, is helping out in the parking lot and sending out invitations to the Champion Center. Yeah, those are the risks that God really expects of you. Because, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. What a mess. You know, sometimes we overthink and we underact. Well, i got to say that again. We overthink and we underact. We overthink, we underact. We get the paralysis of analysis. We overthink, we underact. We try to figure it all out. and It's okay, you know, pray about the right timing and how you're going to say it. It's okay, but, like, don't, don't. Don't embrace it to the point where you think it's all about just you and what you do perfectly. Like, leave room for God to bring some water. Just, like, dig the ditch. Dig the ditch. Yeah, I'll do that as soon as I figure out what my Hagar is. Yeah, I'm still working on that, dude. Dig the ditch. And, and you don't know who, you know, who in your world their mom prayed for them and is still praying for them. You, you don't know. And I don't know, but what we do is we just engage in acts of faith. And I want to invite you right now to join me, and I'm going to pray for people in our city. I'm going to pray for people that you know. I'm going to pray for people that are out there. I'm going to pray for the Jills today. I'm going to pray for the Corianza today. I'm going to pray that God would just go before us, and that everyone we engage in, every conversation that we have, that that we would be bold and that we would just seize hold of the opportunity between now and Easter. Like, if you need Easter to leverage it, go ahead. Like, you know, lots of people will come on Easter that won't come any other time. So, so knock yourself out. That's fine. Easter's great. But if it happens between now and then, like, let's just not wait is all I'm saying. Let's not, let, let's not be wimpy about this. Let's be bold. Like, let's light a fire in our hearts and in our soul and get going with acts of faith amen right because you know without faith it's impossible to please god you, you got to stop living so guarded when it comes to handing out invitations to the champion center 
So if you would agree with me, just hold up a hand right now. Father, we pray for our city. Done. We pray for Seattle. Yeah, done, 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 done. Wow, what a mess. Yeah, it, you know, what is it with all these pastors, preachers, teachers? At, you know, I mean, they're it's like they're making so little effort now to actually even look like they're preaching a biblical text. More interested in talking about themselves. And when they do touch a biblical text, it seems like they're, they are incapable of actually just reading it and dealing with it straight on, in what it really says. Absolutely fascinating and fascinating in an awful way. Didn't hear anything about Christ. Didn't hear anything about the forgiveness of sins. Just a heavy-handed law message. Oh, you better start digging ditches, you know. And all of that's based upon, you know, kind of, you know, a, a disputed translation of the Hebrew there. Wow. 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 What'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at fire Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.